Welcome everyone. I'm Holly Smithson, your host for Athena's Blueprint for Success. I'm super excited to have Ambry Farouk in our studio. She is the Vice President and Head of Alliance Management at Pixis Oncology. And this program is brought to you by our friends and partners at San Diego Gas and Electric. We are super excited to have uh, Ambreen Farouk in our studio. Uh, Ambreen is certainly no stranger in the life science and biotech community. Um, I'm just a, a really big fan of Ambreen's. We've enjoyed a really long um, and animated friendship, uh, certainly uh, with, with our work at Athena. And I'm excited to, to have Ambreen come into the studio and share a little bit about her journey. And for the newcomers in our audience, uh, the purpose of our Blueprint for Success is to provide some of the um, experiences and the challenges of women that have broken through the, um, the, the, gender, um, the gender barriers and some of the other disparities that are prevalent in the STEM, uh, the STEM workforce. And, uh, and so the goal is really to draw inspiration um, from some of the strategies and some of the tactics, uh, certainly the attitude and the grit that comes with uh, being able to sidestep some of these barriers and, uh, and find your way to the top. So, Ambreen, thank you so much for joining us, and it's great to see you. Thank you so much, Holly, for having me here. I'm so deeply honored. Well, Ambreen, uh, when we were in the studio before we joined uh, the, on the camera set, she told us that uh, she just got back from London um, and uh, was part of the Jubilee presentation uh, celebration. Um, so welcome back uh, to the stateside. Tell us a little bit about... Um, your illustrious career. Now, I know you have you started with your background in finance, uh, and then you were able to move into the biotech uh, with career stents at Halozyme, at Pfizer, and now you are the vice president and head of alliance management at Pixis Oncology. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into it. Sure, Holly. So just as background, I now have approximately 20 years of biopharma, biotech, and investment portfolio management industry experience and have had multiple operating and management roles, um, including the broad, you know, being in broad global drug development and commercialization, um, especially in strategic partnerships. And I started my career in the financial industry very early. So in my second year undergrad, while I was in pre-med, um, that's where I started. So I was working full-time and going at, and doing my undergrad full-time in, in pre-med. Um, so currently, uh, as you mentioned, I am, I just joined Pixis recently, Pixis Oncology as a vice president of the head of alliance management. I'm responsible for building a scalable alliance management function and lead key alliance strategies and activities for Pixis. Um, Pixis is organic pipeline, licensed assets and joint ventures. And so to date, I have had the great opportunity to have led and managed over 50 partnerships in the biopharma industry. And that has really been to the credit of, um, you know, being part of Pfizer, then Halozyme, and then of course, joining Pixis. Um, so prior to joining Pixis, as you had mentioned, I was at Pfizer for almost eight and a half years of which six and a half years was really spent in building and heading the Alliance management function there um, for oncology R&D type of partnerships, all the way from preclinical to clinical um, assets for biologics and small molecules. So in addition to that, and as you mentioned earlier, I am very proud to say that I'm also a board member of Athena, a premier women's advocacy organization. 
that really empowers women in STEM. And I'm so honored to do this interview with you today. Um, as I really truly believe we can really inspire women in so many ways and bringing their stories together will hopefully bring a nugget of light uh, to whoever gets inspired. So it's really my intent today to share as much as I possibly can. And also in terms of my education background, um, I did receive an executive MBA in corporate strategy and finance from the Richard Ivey School of Business and my undergrad in uh, Clarkson University. So what led me to the STEM career was actually a socioeconomic situation um, back in 2008. It allowed me to pivot during the recession uh, where I was in the financial industry and my entire portfolio, investment portfolio, which spans corporate and private client groups, capitulated and tanked um, tremendously. And that was my turning point where I felt, um, you know, I needed to evolve and get away from a transactional type of career to a more transformational career. And that socioeconomic situation that impacted my, you know, my portfolio allowed me to really find my passion in making a difference in patients' lives. So that's why, you know, when I was an undergrad and I was in pre-med, now I realize why I did, you know, uh, why, why I was doing what I was doing at that time point. So I really wanted to contribute at some point to the healthcare industry. So that really pushed me to rethink where I wanted to go next and be, you know, very focused. And I, you know, I, I, I hear you when you talk about um, the desire to go from a transactional um, role to something more transformational. And I, I think that's going to resonate with our audience, um, certainly with coming out of the, of the pandemic. Uh, we know 5 million women have left the workforce um, last year. And there's a wholesale reevaluation about how we go to work and who for whom we go to work with and for and that sense of I want to do something that's transformational I want to do something that's far greater and more purpose-driven mm -hmm. and so that's why I I really appreciate you making that distinction about your pivot in your career because I think that's a that's something that's going to land uh, for our audience today so talk a little about so when you're, when you're making that, when you made that pivot and when the folks that are listening to this podcast are considering making pivots, talk about some of the tools and some of the resources that allowed you to make that change and to do it in a much more accelerated fashion. Um, because we know when we're gonna make a dramatic change in our career and in our focus and, and give more of ourselves that align with our values, um, the resources and the network, uh, those are some of the key ingredients that will, will kind of help it go a little bit faster. So can you expand on some of the things that, uh, that enabled you to get where you are today? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think one of the most important things was to just take a pause and really self-evaluate. And so, you know, the point of being about self-aware is really important because you are the best judge of yourself than anybody uh, anybody else. And you really have to be good about giving yourself credit about all the good things that you've accomplished and really list them down and then look at the things that you wanted to do but couldn't do. And as well as where you think you really have some weaknesses where you can improve. So you have like literally three columns and then you figure out, okay, where do I want to go and have a focused approach. And so one of the things I looked at is, um, 
to me, having a foundation of learning and being uh, always in the mode of learning is the best way to really evolve. And that's what gave me the opportunity to pause to, okay, I want to go back into drug development. I want to be in the healthcare industry. Um, how do I get there? So I just self-learned myself about drug development. Um, and the second thing I did, I started to really go into my network, my LinkedIn network, personal networks, and look at leaders that I really inspire. I'm inspired by people that are smarter and better than me. Um, and that's what really helped me to look at their viewpoints from their lens and where I could ultimately take nuggets of that information and build my own kind of self-awareness, self-strength and where I want to be. And so it was a combination of being critical um, and really giving yourself credit because one of the things I haven't been good at, which I, you know, wish I knew earlier is just be aware of your strengths and have your self-awareness. Um, Cause to me, I was never satisfied with what I ever did. I always wanted to do better. Um, and I never paused to give myself a credit or a pat on the back. Uh, I still don't do it. <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, really pushes me to just explore um, and keep learning. And so that's what helped me actually, in, you know, when I make the pivot um, and then I started to really focus on um, getting in touch with recruiters that were in that industry and really pitching my story um, and creating that narrative. It's really important that you always have a story. Your resume is just uh, a guiding prince, guiding document of what you've accomplished. It's not your who you really truly are. It's, your personality will come across when you actually tell your story. So always be prepared to um, you know, talk about yourself in a way that really inspires somebody to start seeing where they can fit you in. Um, in an organization that can actually help you, you know, move forward in that career. I um, I, I love uh, your comment about being in a constant mode of learning. And I think that's really something I want to pull out of your commentary, because most people that are in the life science and the tech and the engineering and um, in those arenas, you, you, you are a constant um, student. You are that lifelong learner by virtue of the career path that, that we're, we're, we've chosen. And so I, I really like that as a call out for folks to, to question at, at what level are they continuing to do that. And, you know, with the, with the demands of working from home, you know, childcare, aging parents and the like, sometimes um, developing, uh, investing in your own professional development might fall down on the list of priorities. But as you're looking to do a pivot or re-enter the workforce, that 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 investment needs to be um, first and foremost. So I appreciate you getting sort of permission. <laughs> if you're not doing it, you need to do it. Uh, um, and how and how helpful that's been for you, uh, number one. And then number two, the thing that you said about being able to articulate your story, right? Articulate your value prop or your your superpower, something that makes you come alive. And uh, and we've had you um, in in the in, in other Athena programs, and you do that so well, Ambreen, um, because it is your story. And a lot of times we hear women feeling a little bit of shame, a little bit of the Brene Brown shame, whereas if I'm talking about myself, I feel like I'm being braggadocia. And that's the last thing I want to convey to my audience. And so I'd like for you to talk 
a little bit about that? Can you unpack that so that people can maybe reframe the notion that if I'm talking about myself, I'm, 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 I'm being, um, it's unattractive and it's untoward because in the absence of telling your story, people don't know what you bring to the table. Right. No, absolutely. And one of the things that I keep my, in mind and my intention is what value have I created? It's not for myself. It's really for the greater good. And so that is weaved throughout my story where I give examples of my journey, but it's always the greater intention of the value that I give to an organization, to a patient or to the team. Um, and it's really important that, you know, that I think are really good bragging rights to have, honestly. And people are really inspired by a leader that brings people along, brings teams along. And that's my always my intention is, I'm kind of a leader that influences without authority. I always will need a team behind me. I'm not the expert. So being vulnerable and saying, you know, I know, you know, I may not be an expert in this area, but I know how to get the right people to build that team to execute um, and to have a very good strategy, but also to really know enough to really create that vision and execute, create an operating plan. You have to build those skill sets over time. But, you know, again, in most leadership situations, you will have a team behind you. And it's always good when in your story to bring that to the table that, you know, you are um, able to do what you're able to do by having expertise in your team. And how did you build that team? How did they execute? And so to me, I think that is part of your stories when you involve others in your journey and you, you've demonstrated through your actions, right? So there's one thing about saying what you can do, but then when you're in the role, you really need to demonstrate and that's gonna pull you through um, and give you those bragging rights. And I love that you, you talked about um, sharing the impact. And so there's this notion that if we can reframe the way in which we um, share our expertise or our impact, getting away from the braggadocia that that might make you feel um, and moving into here's the impact that I was able to provide for the patient population, for the team, for the company. This is what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the way that I see you when you're sharing your story for the benefit of other women. It is, I'm sharing my story and I'm really passionate about it. It's not, hey, look at me, I'm so great. And, and, and I, I want so desperately to just, you know, take my surgical knife and cut out that, that story that says, if I tell you what I'm really passionate about, that I'm somehow being, um, that, that's, that that's a negative because it's not. And, and so that's why I, I appreciate you kind of drilling down a little bit about telling it about the impact Mm -hmm. um, rather than the function, I'm not going to sit here and brag about all the different roles I've had. The story here is the impact that I was able to have in some small or large way. And it's exciting. And I want to continue that path. Um, and I think you can still, you know, exercise your bragging rights um, and not be seen as a jerk. I, I, I really struggle with that, trying to cut through that because I, I see that in so many of the women that we work with. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, the other thing that I, I'd like for you to um, kind of uh, drill down in is talk about the, the opportunities where you feel like either your, um, your gender or your ethnicity or some other bias 
um, was keeping you from your greatness. And when you saw that, what you did to try to mitigate or minimize that. Yeah, and I think, you know, without giving very specific examples, it was very early on in my career in the financial industry where it's very much male dominated. Um, if you can imagine being in a fishbowl of men and you're the only female there and a few other female um, and you really have to grow thick skin. Um, and so one thing I felt, and maybe this has always been in my DNAs, I never take things personally. <laughs> So I always look at it, at, I never looked at my gender or my color of my skin as a limitation, uh, a limiting factor to do anything. Um, and because I didn't see it, I never used that as an excuse. And I have never used that as an excuse. So the way I've dealt with situations, um, you know, there was one situation where I felt a group of people just didn't see the real facts and didn't make their decisions based on real facts. And it was being driven by, you know, kind of like the boys club idea um, in terms of, you know, let's go and do this. Whereas, you know, that was an opportunity for me to speak up and I didn't. And so that gave me, it was only one situation. And then I realized, wait a minute, you have to speak up. You're one of many um, in the room. And so I use that example and I remember that experience to always speak up now, but I do it based on facts. You've got to gather your facts. You can't be subjective. You've got to be objective. And that's when people will really um, respect you for the points of views that are, could be opposing to the rest of the group that you bring up. Um, and so you've got to be prepared. And I think for me, I'm, I feel with every meeting that I go to, at minimum, I have to be prepared at some level. And that preparation really helps me to build that confidence to be able to speak up. If you go into a meeting unprepared, not knowing what the intent is, then you will not have that, you know, kind of that um, ability to do that. And there's going to be situations where things will be thrown at you and it'll be a surprise. But you've had the confidence and the skill sets to be able to um, you know, tackle those situations. And so then you'll be also prepared during those moments too. So I think it's always important to speak up, um, to also listen what's going on and to absorb and then react and speak up. Um, and so that was a very early example where I felt, um, and it could have been because of my gender or, you know, but I didn't feel that way. I just felt like I was quiet. And that quietness did not sit well with me. And so I used that next opportunity, the next meeting to speak up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think the, the default for some women over time, they get conditioned to just not speak up and, and in effect surrender their agency as a default. And that doesn't serve anyone. So what I hear from you is that one of your core values is speaking up. And I've seen it personally um, in meetings with you and settings with you. It is a fundamental, so like your North Star. Um, if I see something, if I smell something, if I sense something as a leader, I speak up. And, and all too often other people, that instinct isn't there to speak up. And, and what a shame that is. And I think they call that, um, what is it, uh, bystander syndrome, 
where you just see wrong and you say nothing about it. And in effect, you reinforce the behavior that you don't speak up about. So absolutely. You ignore what you impair, what you ignore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I hope our audience really, really um, hones in on that really sage advice um, that you've shared. So thank you for that. Um, we need more Amberines to speak up in the world. So, um, and then let me just round out our discussion uh, to kind of um, put a bow on this lovely exchange. I want you to look into your crystal ball, your uh, uh, Amberine Farouk, Vice President, Head of Alliance Management, Pixis Oncology, uh, publicly traded company. You're an executive. Um, you have enjoyed so much success. So I want you to look into the crystal ball and say, Holly, in the next five years, here's where I see the opportunity for women in STEM. Um, and, that, and that vision um, with, a, with a slant towards more women in leadership positions. What do you think it's gonna take in order for us to close that gender gap? I think it's gonna take an entire village and individually, if we can contribute to coaching and mentoring women that really are exploring and seeking help, I think we can make a difference like one person at a time. Collectively, if we do that, the, the magnitude will be 5X, 10X. And I think it really starts with um, you know our gender, right? And just supporting women in those roles and one of the things I always look for is regardless of gender, I always look for people's strengths. And, and when you motivate people with their strengths, you will get so much more out of them. Um, you will also get loyalty from them. And that really speaks to them feeling really satisfied and inclusive. And so there's always opportunities to improve. Um, and of course, you have to keep in mind what does the organization need to create that value and to you know, fill those gaps with those kind of skill sets. But in the same time, you need to inspire people with their current strengths and allow them to grow from that. Um, and, and that's, you know, what I have always done and will intend to do is just inspire people. Um, and if we do that one person at a time, I think collectively we'll get there. And it's so, I love what you say because it's so important for women that have already um, defied the odds and we find ourselves in leadership positions across the STEM uh, economy is recognizing that we have a responsibility to exhibit those traits and those values and those skills so that the next generation can model that behavior. And the more we see of the Ambreens of the world, the more that we will invite uh, others to follow, like ants to a picnic. And, yeah. and so that's part of the, the spirit and the essence of this Blueprint for Success is to showcase the, the, the Ambreens of the world who have come before um, these, these odds and these circumstances and these nuances, um, and that it can be done. And so I, I really respect the, the leadership and the example that you're providing and that you continue to provide. Um, and then always beating that message. You've got to speak up. You've got to tell your story. Nobody else is gonna tell the story. Mm -hmm. um, and that you, you would be wise to be a lifelong student. So those are the takeaways um, that really called to my heart. And, um, and I hope they, they land uh, for our audience um, as equally powerful. 
Um, so I want to thank you again for coming in to our studio as it is, and, and also want to congratulate you on your new uh, post at uh, Pixis Oncology. And as always, it's a pleasure to have a conversation with you and, and share your story. Thank you so much, Holly. This has been fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.